Thank you very much, Hunter. I appreciate the great job doing this morning for us and for our, our whole uh, praise team that comes up each and every week and, and leads us in worship. Thank you for your efforts. Uh, th this morning, uh, I want to start a little bit different way because when I talk with a lot of folks from the, from the church, the conversation we inevitably get to is what's going on with our capital campaign? What, what's going on with our plans? And so we wanted to give you a little bit of an update this morning. So I'm going to invite Zach to, uh, to come in. So Zach, um, Nelson Eagle is the gentleman that is going to be coming in and helping us with the daycare in, in phase number one that will then drive the funds that will come for phase two and phase three. Uh, but all this has been kind of put on hold through the pandemic. But share just a little bit about the meeting we had with Nelson this past Monday night. Well, that's right, Brad. We've, we've kind of had our finger on the pause button for a while since COVID hit, not knowing exactly how things are going to play out. Mm -hmm. So last Monday night, we had a leadership team meeting along with the shepherds here in the church to look at what does it need to happen to take that finger off the pause button. Mm -hmm. Nelson Eagle uh, is the person that was slated to come in and really help us mm -hmm. look at what's going on with daycares. And it was great information because what we're seeing is there is, it's, it's doing real well as the country is rebounding from the initial phases of COVID. And so we're excited. It was a great meeting. Yeah, Nelson's even buying up some smaller daycares that weren't sure if they're going to go forward. So uh, he said it's a real opportunity for us. And so we feel very good about that. So I, I would say that our what hasn't changed, uh, but how about the how? Because we're also meeting with bankers, talking about loans and stuff. So tell us about the how portion of this capital campaign. Well, one of the things we're so thankful and blessed by God is by our membership here at High Point. You guys have done an outstanding job Amen. of giving to the church and continuing to give to the campaign. In fact, uh, when we look at what's happening in some other area churches, Brad, out, High Point's a model. We're, we're doing outstanding. But here's the key, guys. As we go back to the banks now to get these loans finalized so we can move our church forward in this building program, they're going to be looking and saying, how did you do? Mm -hmm. So these coming weeks, uh, if we can really step our giving up strong, which you guys do a great job of, yep. and we keep giving you the campaign, yep. and especially Harvest Sunday coming up November 1st to give those one-time gifts on November 1st. Yep. So it, it's an exciting time for our congregation. We're ready to roll, We're, but we need everyone in the congregation that's able to. And if you're not, boy, we, we understand. Uh, but as God blesses us, let's step out in faith and not in fear. So yep. thank you very much, Thanks, Zach. Brad. I appreciate it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. And as you're, you're turning there, I, I will tell you, this is an exciting time to be a member of the High Point Church of Christ family, and we're excited that you're here, and we're excited what God's doing in our midst. I know this is challenging times, but it is incredible what God is doing in us and also through us, and you'll hear more about uh, the plans for the future in our missions and what we're doing here locally and some other things in our coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. James chapter 5 verse 7 says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. 
Now don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you're going to be judged. I'm telling you, the judge is standing at the door. Now, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Wow, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, James is writing a very practical book, and he's encouraging young believers. But it's also a challenging book designed to encourage young believers as they face incredible opposition. See, you have the kingdom of God is growing. People are, are accepting the great news, the gospel message, that you're suddenly right with God, that that relationship has been restored because of what Jesus did on the cross. So you have this whole group of people that are coming to faith in Jesus, that are entering into his kingdom now that will be fully realized one day. But there's also opposition from those that have not heard of Jesus, or have chosen to reject Jesus. So how do kingdom people reach out to and make a difference to draw more people into the very kingdom of God? John Calvin says this, we must make the invisible kingdom visible in our midst. Isn't that awesome? He's like, that's the task of the church. It's for people that can't see the invisible, including us, for them to see tangible benefits and tangible change coming about in each of our lives as kingdom participants to make say, okay, maybe there is something about this kingdom you keep going on and on about. And isn't that the message of Galatians chapter 5? Paul is telling these new Christians, hey, You've come to Jesus. Now allow the Holy Spirit to make a difference in your life going forward. You've gone through the conversion. Now let's go through the sanctification, the process of being made holy. And really it's a battle. It's a battle of the wills. It's a battle of our earthly flesh versus the Holy Spirit suddenly grabbing hold. So we have one spirit in nine different flavors that start to come out in our lives. So we've talked about the past three weeks that there are three internal flavors that are kind of below the waterline. They're internal. It's what God is doing inside of us. And that's love, and that's joy. And what was last week, you guys remember? Peace. So love, joy, and peace are inner flavors of stuff starts happening. Spirit is, is starting to work. And then we have our first external flavor that starts coming out as we interact with not only our brothers and sisters, but also those that are outside the kingdom of God. The first one is patience. Uh, raise your hand if you kind of dread this lesson this morning. Okay, yeah, because this is one that a lot of people struggle with. And I joked with my wife uh, that I don't know if it's Satan or the Lord, but someone's been throwing a lot of challenging things my way this week to test my patience. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, as your preacher, I have failed miserably. So uh, this lesson is for me as much as it is for each one of you. But we realize this is the work of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit that we begin to listen to. We turn up the volume on, but yet 
James is going to tell us there's some things that we can do to help kind of cultivate this. But let's get a good working definition for patience. Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. How you doing on that? Okay. So patience is this, is this, this quality. And what it does, it's the spirit putting a force on us that grabs our legs and says, hold fast, don't run off. When we want to run from difficulty, you know, when life kind of cranks up and we get irritated or, or, or sometimes it, it's other things, we get stir crazy. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and we either want to fight or we want to flight. We want to take flight and just run. And so this is that force that comes from the Spirit that grabs a hold of us, and it anchors our feet to the ground because we've still got work to do, right? And so it encourages us to hold fast. It encourages us to persevere. It encourages us to stay put. It encourages us to keep applying pressure against the forces of evil. Keep putting that pressure. Keep pushing forward, maintaining our position and not giving up. You know, we live in a world that celebrates great initiatives getting started, right? Whether that be a startup company or a nonprofit, or even we celebrate the start of a relationship in marriage. And so we celebrate a lot of starters do we celebrate the stayers, those that stick around when the business is struggling, those that stick around when the marriage goes through rocky patches, those that stick around when all of the forces on outside and other voices are telling you to move on? Can you stay put? Because Scripture reminds us that the reward comes not in the starting, but in those who endure to the end. How's your staying power? How's your patience? James says, we consider those blessed who reign steadfast. See, church, it's not just about keeping your cool. It's about keeping course with the path that God has laid out for us. You know, uh, I'm generally not a huge fan of the King James Version because it, it's not the language that we typically talk, uh, you know, unless we're in a Shakespeare play or something. But, uh, but in the King James Version, it actually translates the word for patience the most true. It, it translates patience as long-suffering. It's experiencing pressure in, and suffering and enduring for a long period of, of time. And so James encourages us to keep going. And patience is this work of the Spirit that helps us and equips us to sometimes suffer well as we endure hardships, you know, to keep going, to cultivate this inner working of the Spirit. Okay, sounds good. How do we do that, preacher? How do we remain patient? How do we allow this Spirit to change how we're interacting with the relationships around us, either with our brothers and sisters Sometimes just being patient with our own family members that we're on lockdown with gets a little challenging, right? Especially in how we interact with those outside the kingdom of God. 
Well, the first thing I would encourage us to think about is we need to learn to think of life differently. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a given. We think differently if we come to Jesus Christ. But think what it means to be impatient. Impatience is the inability to rationally discern between that which claims to be urgent and what's truly urgent in our life. In a recent New York Times article, they decided to look at the science of patience or the science of impatience. What's kind of the driver of some of that? And, And they centered the scientific research on a little almond-shaped portion of the brain called the amygdala. And it's described as the unsophisticated part of our brain. Now, it's not throwing shade on the amygdala, but what it's saying is is that it serves a very important role as it was designed. So as a caveman is out and doing his different thing, and a saber-toothed tiger comes over the hill, the amygdala, a very unsophisticated thing, either tells it to fight or, or, or to fly, you know, to, to flee from the situation. So we don't need to use our sophisticated part of the brain to do a pros and cons list on being attacked by the saber-toothed tiger. We react. But what the article came up with is we live in a very different environment to where sometimes we don't experience the threat of the tiger coming over the hill, but we still use that part of our brain to react to non-threatening situations. And so the amygdala fires off the same irrational response as if our very life depend upon it. And so it's the same part of the brain. And what they said is impatience is a misinterpretation of life. Wow. So it's not reading a situation, but reacting to it. So when our blood boils over in non-threatening situations, what this article is saying is we're misinterpreting the brain, what is taking in, and we're reacting in a way that's not appropriate. Maybe you saw this a couple weeks ago. Top seed and overwhelming favorite, Novak Djokovic was kicked out of the U.S. Open tennis for losing his cool. See, he was in the first set of his match, and he was trailing Pablo Carina Busta 6-5, and so he had lost serve. And so as he's going back to the bench and getting ready to trade sides and all that, he has one tennis ball with him. And so in a fit of rage, he just takes this ball out and he hits it really hard, hoping it would hit against the, the back wall. Instead, it hit a side judge in the neck, knocked her over, and she fell to her knees and crumbled. Well, he immediately ran over. He's like, you know, he told the head judge, this is not what I intended. I just reacted to the anger that was inside of me. Well, the judge has no no choice but to disqualify him and default him for the tournament. And so it was a stunning end to a 29-match winning streak in his 18th bid for a Grand Slam title. He's like, I wasn't in my right mind. Have you found yourself there? Where you're in a situation where you're using the wrong part of your brain to take in information and then to react. That's what we've got to fight against. See, the Bible doesn't condemn us from being angry. 
What it condemns us for is acting in a sinful way in response to our anger. See, there's all kinds of things that I think Christians are a little too passive about that maybe we should be angry about. But it's how we step into that anger. It's how we deal with it that defines, is this a response of the flesh or is the Holy Spirit doing something? As a Christian, we start listening. And we have that first response of the old man as Paul describes it. And then we get this response of the Spirit. And, and sometimes when we're early on in our Christian faith, we get this and we act, and then we hear that voice a little bit too late. And then sometimes we can kind of, we hear them almost simultaneously, and we still choose this, but we're hearing it quicker. And, and what Paul is talking about is cultivating this spirit within us to where we hear both, but we're hearing this one first, and we're choosing that response instead of this response of the flesh. James chapter 5 and verse 7 says, Be patient, then, brothers and sister, until the Lord's coming. What he's talking about is if we understand where this thing is going, and we understand Christ is going to return, and we have gone all in as kingdom we're our residents of the kingdom of God, then we act differently because we know how this is going to play out. So we don't react in the present because we're confident of our future, church. That's what this is about. It's saying, I want God's spirit to start living in me because when an unfavorable thing happens in my life, Others are going to look and wait for me to react in one way or another. And I want to react as a kingdom representative. The second thing we need to do is take the long view. And this is so hard because <laughs> we want things to happen right now as we want them and how we would choose to do things. But Paul's going to encourage us to take the long view. We also see this with James. James tells us in James 5 and verse 7 and 8, he goes, look at what farmers do. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? Boy, take, take a message from them. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Well, we don't like that four-letter word that's in there. Wait, do we? Oh, it's hard. And we're like, tell me anything. I want to know yes or no. Sometimes when our prayers go up to God, we feel like he's not answering. But it's because we ask for A or B. Well, he says option C is you're going to wait until I show you either this way or that way. And so we would rather know one way or another. But no. So James tells us stand firm and wait you know, the bulk of our technologies um, that have come out have helped us uh, live life quicker and things happen. I remember when I was just a little child and, and my mom brought home something called Jiffy Pop. How many of y'all remember that? And boy, that changed everything because we got, had, got rid of our, our little thing. We had to heat up the oil and, and put the little kernels in there and wait for it. Boy, this was like six, seven minutes. You're out there, you remember, on, on the top of the stove, and it starts coming up. 
now, uh, boy, to ask uh, this next generation behind us, can you wait seven or eight minutes for popcorn and you got to keep going, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to hit two minutes or just the popcorn button. I just want to hit that. Some are like, uh, two minutes is just too much. I, I'm going to buy it pre-popped. You know, anytime I want to just reach in and grab it. So we're in this instant gratification culture. And so we want it to happen now. And all the conveniences allow us to do things in a much more rapid way. Well, waiting is part of the culture of a Christian. It may not be part of the culture out there that we're living in. But we're instructed to be patient. Isaiah says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. So we think waiting is wasting our time, don't we? We think we're just stalled out here. We're doing nothing when we could be doing something productive. What Isaiah is saying is, no, there's something to this waiting here that we're gaining strength. We're getting stronger by not reacting, by not forcing something to happen that shouldn't happen. It's waiting on that right guy or that right girl instead of saying, my clock is running out. I got to do something. No, it's waiting. It's saying, I believe God's going to be faithful and I'm going to wait. That's why it's so important that we participate in spiritual disciplines like fasting. What's fasting? Well, it's denying that urge of the flesh to go eat and eat and graze and then come back and eat some more. And, oh, let's get a bowl of cereal before we go to bed. So it's all these images. We're like, yeah, you know. Fasting is saying, slow. I'm not going to allow these impulses of the flesh to derive how I'm going to act. I'm not going to be hangry. That if I don't get fed right now what I want, then I'm not going to be a pleasant person to be around. No, fasting is saying, I'm going to learn to gain some spiritual strength by denying myself. Oswald Oswald Chambers, in his great devotional book, Upmost for His Highest, says this. He says, patience is not the same as indifference, which sometimes people read that if you're not doing anything, you're just being patient, you don't care. No, patience conveys the idea of someone who is tremendously strong and able to withstand all assaults, having the vision of God is the source of patience because it gives us God's true and proper inspiration. He said by waiting, by demonstrating peace, we're showing that we have a strength and a resolve that is beyond us, beyond willpower, to say, God, we want you calling the shots in this, and we want to gain strength not for us, but so that we can live differently than the world. And they go, what do you have? It's not of me. It's the Holy Spirit coursing through my veins. It's filled that spot that used to react to negative situations. You know, the Hebrew writer tells us that Moses endured not because of his devotion to principles of what was right and wrong. No, it says he had a vision of God. Hebrews 11 verse 27 says he endured as seeing him who's invisible. 
He could see this kingdom that others couldn't. And he could see God sitting on his throne. So he says, I'm going to be patient in this situation when as we go through the desert, it's going to be very difficult. I know where we're going, and I know who's leading us in this light at night and in the cloud by the day. God is before us. He has shown us where we're going. I think that's why the, the farmer illustration works for James. If you ask me, no one works harder than farmers. Boy, it is tough work, yet they wait patiently for the harvest. But they're active, they're engaged, and they're diligent in their task. And they get up in the middle of the night to go handle problems, and they, they never, you know, punch the clock. But yet they have to wait on the Lord to provide the growth, the growth He's promised. So what if we took that same view that we're going to trust God, that we're going to be patient for the long haul on what he's put before us, the vision that he gives us. Boy, everything we put a hand to, if we say we're going to be patient and wait on God's timing instead of forcing our timing, especially things that are of highest importance in our relationships and what we do as a congregation. Andy Crouch says this, the bigger change that we hope for the longer we must be willing to invest, work for, and wait for. He says those that stay in a community of believers shape that community. And so it's those who stick it out that reap the harvest. So it's kind of like hashtag last man standing. Those that stay and remain shape what an organization, a family, even a church looks like. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we're going to reap a harvest if we do not give up. Church, that's our calling. Do not give up. Wait on God to bring about this harvest. If we believe he's leading us, guiding us, and giving us that vision, don't give up. Keep charging forward. Finally, the last one that seems like kind of a one-off thing. Why do you throw this in? is number three, turn away from grumbling. You're like, well, what does it have to do with patience? It turns out a lot. James chapter 5, verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another as you're being patient, as you're waiting on the Lord, as you're striving to go after that which he's put before you. So don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you're going to be judged. The judge standing at the door, he's not going to allow this. So Grumbling is destructive for two reasons. Uh, number one is it undermines our trust in God. It, if we don't trust that God is in control and God is leading us, then it shows others we're not bought into this kingdom as much as we once professed. But number two, it encourages the impatience we're called to avoid. And so when we start grumbling and complaining and worrying and do this, it impacts us. It takes our eyes off the ball. What does James says? It also does that with the brothers and sisters you're complaining to. You're grumbling against. He said it's very destructive to, to the mission. And so it creates angst and irritation and discouragement in our lives and the lives of those that hear it. Numbers chapter 16, 
the Israelites were very upset. Apparently, there's a group of rogue, about 250 people, that decided to do something different, and they were dishonoring God, and so God allowed them to be uh, destroyed. And so it really sent shockwaves throughout all of Israel. And so instead of taking this before God, they start grumbling against their leaders, you know, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you know, this kind of, the three of them, they're kind of leading them through. And so God tells Moses and Aaron, is like, okay, I'm about to go to town on this little town hall meeting that's about to happen. You might want to separate yourselves away from what I'm about to do. And so they do, but then Moses says, Aaron, quick, go get your censer and and fill it with incense and make atonement for the people. So Aaron runs out, and you can imagine, he's grabbing his censer, and he's putting a little kindling wood in there, and he hears the plague of the Lord coming in. He's like trying to lie. Finally, he gets a smoke going. He goes, oh, okay. So he goes running back to the tent. And by the time it's happened, thousands of people, he sees that this plague has come across. He's like, okay, I'm going to hop in right here. And so he gets in front of the plague and starts waving this censer. And so incense starts going up to the Lord, and the Lord stopped it. It says in number 16, verse 48, Aaron stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But not before 14,700 folks lost their life. Seems harsh, doesn't it? God was so dedicated to the purity of those entering the Holy Land that he weeded out those that were trying to undermine the mission. He said the mission is so much more important than any one person on that mission. In fact, God allowed this generation for 40 years to wander, going in circles, doing this. Why? Because God says, I'm raising up a generation that's ready to go. I'm raising up a generation that trusts me, that believes in me, and wholeheartedly says, we're going to take this land. We're following Joshua and Caleb, and it's go time. That's what he's looking for. So we need to refuse to allow that to be our story as well. We want the generation behind us to be inspired by what this group of Christians is doing right now in the life of this church. During the pandemic, a number of businesses have shut down, including zoos. Uh, well, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park was asked by a neighboring zoo that had to close down if they would adapt, uh, adopt an African gray parrot from the zoo that was closing their doors. So I said, sure, we don't have one of those. Bring it on over. Well, what they didn't know is that this newly adopted parrot had a swearing problem. You see where this is going to go? Well, they put it into the cages at night with their other parrot population, and suddenly all the parrots are swearing at the park goers, the ones that are coming to the zoo. So they're like, how did this happen? One grumbler got dropped in the mix, right? Okay, well, don't worry about the zoo. Park attendance at the zoo has gone up because people apparently like being sweared at. Isn't that great? Oh, the same thing can happen with grumbling throughout an organization just as fast. And, and it's hard because we have this wonderful thing called social media. 
that gives us a platform for our impatience, our grumbling, and our complaining. And we get it off our chest and we feel so good about things, right? And so you either find like-minded folks that agree with you or folks that, well, I hadn't thought about that way. But we get rewarded with likes. And so it just fuels our complaining and grumbling about whatever. And so it just empowers us and allows us to do it as we spew our venom. And so we've got to ask, are we going to be a generation that's marked by, by grumbling and complaining or a generation that lives into our prophetic witness? Church, we have to realize that there's something that easily flows off our list, off our, our, our mouth. And it's either, either the good news about Jesus Christ and how the kingdom of God has changed us and how you want others to be a part of that. Or it is this, it is our blank, our school, our church, our country, our generation is going to hell in a handbasket. And so that one of those two messages quickly comes off because it's what we're thinking about. It's what we're processing. It's what has gotten into our hearts. One is a message of the spirit. The other is a message of the flesh. And we can't have a spring that has both fresh and salt water. This is difficult times we're living in. But in this difficult time, we can join in with other complainers that are about this, that, or the other. Or we can use this as an opportunity to spew the good news about Jesus Christ to a generation, to a world that is dying for good news. I hope, I hope we'll choose that. You know, grumbling is, is the preaching of my timing, my agenda, and my vision for life. And my vision for life is the right one. Yours is wrong. So prophetic witness is not about that. Prophetic witness is preaching and sharing God's message and God's timing and God's promises and God's sufficiency to carry out those promises. That's our message. Is it not, church? One is life-giving and one is life-stealing. But each one of us has to have a message that's fresh on our, off our, our lips that brings glory to God or it sucks the life out of those that we encounter. I choose the good news of Jesus. Paul's letting us know that patience is really about an inner war that's going on, this war of the flesh or the war of the spirit, which will rule your thoughts, which will rule your heart, which will rule your words and your actions. It's a choice for each one of us. Which volume knob are you going to turn up and which one are you going to turn off and get rid of? Because you can't listen to both. You can't say both. You can't live into both. So I encourage us from this text in James chapter 5, I want us to start living differently. I, I want us to look at life differently. And I want us to take the long haul view that we're in this for all of our life with all of our strength, all of our efforts to go after what God is calling us to go after. And finally to turn away through grumbling through the power of God's spirit saying, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm certainly not going to repeat it. And I'm not going to participate. I'm going because I have hooked my cart up to my heavenly father. And I know the destination for that. Stay the course. Trust in God. 
we can help it this morning, come now as we stand, as we sing.